listening to the See the Unseen podcast, where our number one focus is creating a little visibility for people who deserve a whole lot of spotlight. I'm your host, Melissa Georgioff, and I'm here to share some amazing stories that can transform and inspire lives. So get ready to take those blinders off and see the unseen. Welcome to the See the Unseen podcast. Today, I have a really cool guest. Um, But before we get there, I just want to say that my sponsor today is Respire Home Care Services. Respire is in 13 states. Um, They're a uh, life-sustaining ventilator company. And uh, they're actually my employer as well. Uh, They go by Aerotech Medical in Ohio and Indiana and um, really represent North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Georgia, uh, let's see, Illinois, Missouri, uh, Wisconsin, Indiana, Ohio. Did I miss anything? I'm sure I missed something. Um, But I'm here uh, today because many of you know, I dedicated about 30 years of my career advocating for people with disabilities and working for the largest complex wheelchair company in the country, New Motion. And today I work as the chief contracting officer for Respire Home Care Services. Um, They go by Advent in Michigan. So we have a a few different legacy companies and more information to come on that. But I'm here today, I'm so excited because I am interviewing Megan Parker today. She is an attorney in Ohio and she's one of our customers. And what's cool is that she uses a ventilator and she's in a complex wheelchair. So both in order to be mobile and independent. So welcome to the podcast, Megan. I'm so glad to have you today. Thank you so much for inviting me me to be on. I'm excited to get to talk to you and do my first podcast ever. That is so cool. So the reason, so first of all, I just have to say that I heard your story because um, Brian Dacey, who is our chief strategy officer at the company, he sent the video out so that all of the investors who you know invest in the company, uh, mm-hmm. which is called, it's a private equity group and it's called New Harbor. And we were having a board meeting and they thought that it would be good to start the board meeting, just remembering why we do what we do. And they showed your video in front of everyone in this big, huge board meeting in this conference room in Chicago. And you just wouldn't believe how everyone reacted, just the impact that you have. Because it's so important, you know, when you're doing the work that you're doing, and I'm sure you can imagine this, is to remember why we do what we do. We can get so wrapped up in, you know, the business side of things, but, um, you know, remembering that there is a human on the other side that it's our responsibility to, you know, take care of and uh, advocate for. So um, that's how I heard your story. And then I had, and then I said, send me that video again. And I saw you were on the news in Akron, Ohio. And I immediately said, um, I need her on my podcast. So give her like, how do I get her phone number? And I reached out to you and you were just, um, you know, you were like, yeah, let's do it. So thank you so much for doing this. And I just want to, so I want to just start off with, tell us a little bit about, um, let's just get the elephant out of the room. Uh, Let's talk about your diagnosis and tell me a little bit about that and like how you grew up with it. Uh, We'll start there. 
Absolutely. Um, so my main diagnosis is Ulrich's congenital muscular dystrophy, and it only impacts one out of a million people. And when I wasn't, it wasn't being tested for when I was born. So I didn't get that full diagnosis until I was 12 or 13 years old. Uh, when I was born, they knew something was wrong, but they didn't know what. So we found out muscular dystrophy in general when I was four or five, and then the Ulrich's part of it when I was 12 or 13. And from that, I have severe scoliosis. I have, it used to be asthma, but now it's a respiratory failure and I'm ventilator dependent. Uh, I have keratosis pilaris, which is just clogged skin pores. And then um, the, the last one that's really important is uh, osteopenia. But aside from that, um, just growing up with these disabilities has, in a way, been a blessing. Um, not only for me, but I would say also for my family, because growing up, I didn't do all the things my siblings did. When they were out playing sports or running around the yard, I normally was either inside or on the porch reading a book. And it really helped my love for gaining knowledge just, just grow. And my family, I think, them and help others. Megan, you broke up just at that one moment. You said your family and and you kind of broke up. Oh, um, with my family, I I think it it really helped give them an appreciation for not only the things that they can do themselves but also the things that they can do to help others. Wow. So that's pretty incredible that you would say that you would look at this as a blessing. All the things that all the medical complications that you've gone through, you look at this as a blessing. That's, yeah, that's amazing. It's really something that my mom instilled. It was something that your mother instilled in you? Yeah, it, uh, she never wanted me to look at my disabilities as a hindrance. She always told me that my, to always use my mind and to shoot for the stars because my legs don't work. So she always took the, you may not be able to do what other people can do, but you can do so much more than that. That Those are some really words of wisdom, right? Um, and I think that people out there some days, and you know, we, even myself, you know, think, well, what can we do to help others? Or what is our purpose or what is our passion? And you know, everyone is given spiritual gifts, right? And everybody is able to do something and look at you. I mean, you're a testament to 
no one should have any excuse to to lay in bed and do nothing right i mean if you yeah. can get out there using a ventilator using your complex wheelchair and being a lawyer first of all i'm so jealous of that because i always wanted i thought about being a lawyer but um <laughs> i don't know if i wanted to go through all of that schooling um so we're gonna get there i want to talk about that too but um it's it's just so um, amazing that your mother and your family just uh, looked at you know looked at how they could learn from you, and encouraged you to keep growing and developing yourself. That just because hey just because you can't use your legs doesn't mean that you can't get around right because you've got your complex wheelchair. So right. let's go there. Let's talk about your complex wheelchair a little bit. I know um, where did you get it from? So I got my wheelchair and have my whole life from Miller's. Uh, and it's actually Miller's, okay. fun, funny. I live like five minutes from their Akron office. So I never thought I could be any closer to my wheelchair company. Um, and I don't even know how we got into contact with them at first, but they've been amazing what I need with my chair and if anything goes wrong they they always just say give us a call and that's super important for wheelchair users right um just and it's it's amazing that you live yeah. five minutes from them uh but yeah I mean I don't think people realize how important your wheelchair is to you do you want to talk a little bit about that what does your chair mean to you So every piece of equipment I have is extremely important to me, but I would say the wheelchair is the most meaningful in that it's my legs, basically. It's how I'm able to get out of my house every day and do something as small as enjoy the sunlight or do something like run through the leaves when they're falling in the autumn. And it's an extension of myself like when people and this is really nitpicky but when people will lean on my chair i always tell them hey can you not lean on me because it's a part of who i am and when there have been issues with my chair or the battery or something it, it just makes me feel stuck so it's very much an extension of who i am as a person Right. I don't think people really understand that. And it's also customized to you, correct? Yes. Yes. So I have a fully custom back and uh, side pads because of the curvature of my spine. Um, it's also, I believe, got a kind of a fitted seat, but it's foam so that way I don't get pressure sores. And I know like the width and stuff is completely customized to me so that I reach joystick or I'm not feeling though I'm a tiny person in a giant chair. Right. And it saves, you know, when you look at it from the health plan perspective, because that's what I do is, you know, negotiate with health plans and advocate for people like you who need this kind of technology is they look sometimes at it as being costly product and 
it really saves the health plan a lot of money um, by providing what's medically necessary for you to get around. And I, I remember a woman, um, a friend of mine who had brittle bones disease in Colorado. And she used to tell me, you know, when you have my wheelchair to have it repaired, that means that I might not be able to drink water. I may not be able to eat because then I have to go to the restroom and I can't get out of bed. So unless you had a backup chair or anything like that, you know, you're really stuck. Like when you're talking about being stuck, um, I think it's important for people to to know that, that, you know, this is not a convenience item. This is something that um, you need for yeah. your for daily living. Right. Yeah, and so let's talk a little bit mm -hmm. also about and, and your ventilator. Outside, right, just to go outside. I mean, yeah, it's funny yeah, because um, sometimes sometimes these health plans will say, um, you know, this isn't for outdoor use. We don't pay for outdoor use or Medicare would say that. And you're like, wait a second. That's not what the intention was ever. Um, it was really, you know, wheel, complex wheelchairs were uh, made in durable medical equipment for use inside the home is what they said. But somehow there was this misconception, which Megan, you need to look into this. You need to fight on this one. Um, but there was this misconception that you can't take your wheelchair outside or we won't pay for it if you use it outside. And that's absolutely not true. That was not the intent of Congress years ago. It was just saying that DME, which wheelchairs fall under the DME category, that they're for use you know, in the home, but they're also for use outside the home. So. It really, I really get on my soapbox sometimes with um, these, you know, health plans at times that don't understand that this is your legs. This is how you get out and about. It's your mobility, right? So, um, I don't know. I, I, want, I always ask, you know, how much are your legs worth, right? Would you like to sit at home all day and not be able to go outside? So, um, yeah. So you're, I understand how important your wheelchair is to you. Um, and how much the service is important. And I think that's something that uh, Medicare really needs to do a better job of reimbursing some of these providers for because, um, you know, there's not as much reimbursement in the repairs of these chairs. And a lot of people, there are access issues all across the country because they can't get the repairs that they need. So it's great that you're five minutes from Miller's and that, um, you know, I'm sure that they're kind of been almost like family to you in a way just to make sure that if you need something, yeah. they're there for you. Yeah, that's great. So let's talk a little bit about your ventilator. Yeah, I, I, yeah let's tell me a little bit about, um, you know, when you first had to get on it and, you know, just using it in general and maybe some of the challenges that you face. So I was officially, um, put on a trach and a ventilator on March 10th in 2008. And I only remember the date specifically because I kept staring at the clock waiting for surgery. Um, but up to that point, I had gone with my siblings to a normal doctor's appointment in February. And it might have even been sooner than that, but I believe it's February. And we had all my siblings checked and then the doctor checked me and my oxygen was low and after an albuterol treatment nothing seemed to fix it so they rushed me to the hospital where i was put on a, a bipap 
machine for a while, and after my lungs just weren't getting back to where they should be, they intubated me. And I was intubated for a while. And I remember the doctors had a meeting with my mom and dad. Uh, my mom told me this story afterwards. And they said, you have three options. One, we can take out the intubation tube, put it back in, and then do a trach surgery. Two, we can just go ahead and do the trach surgery. Or three, we can take out the intubation tube, send her home, and you have six months. And my mom told them that three isn't even an option, and one is cruel and unusual punishment. But ultimately, she left the decision up to me. And we had a good heart-to-heart, and I wrote on my dry erase board, which was how I communicated while intubated, I said option two because I don't want to die. And it's been the, the best decision of my life doing the trach surgery. Uh, it was scary at first having a tube in my throat, um, but the hospital did training with my parents. They made them go through uh, like a whole 24-hour observation just to make sure they could take care of me, which they did great and we got nurses, and it it was a learning curve. It was learning the new sounds of my breathing machine, or if I need to clear my throat, we have to use a tube, but it it never set us back aside from back then, the the really bad battery life on, on the ventilators. So you talk a little bit about how it was all set up in the hospital. What happened when you went home? The res- there's a respiratory therapist that comes out, right? Yes. So um, at home, uh, my mom and, and dad and nurses would take care of me. But then um, once a month, sometimes more, we would have the respiratory therapist team from Aerotech come out. And they would check the vent, make sure it's still functioning properly, make sure the filters all look good, bring us the supplies for that month. And, and they would always just ask, do you need anything? Is there anything you're unsure about? Any questions? And I know, at least for me, in the beginning years, having them be a resource was huge because I'm a naturally curious person. I love asking questions and learning. So I would always ask them what what this setting does or what that thing does on the ventilator. Or if I do this, what should I be aware of in terms of like if I go camping or if I go swimming? And they always had an answer for us. They always made sure that if we wanted to do something like the camping or swimming, we could without worrying about destroying medical equipment or something going awry. So what happens when you go camping or swimming? And what happens with the ventilator? So the way that I did camping is I went uh, once one week out of the summer to a camp called Fresh Air Camp. And it used to be uh, at a location in Strongsville, but they moved it since I outgrew it. And it's all 
volunteer based. So nurses, doctors, high school students for the non-medical stuff, all, all volunteer for that week. So that way kids with uh, breathing issues on ventilators, CPAPs, can go and stay the night in cabins and, and do all kinds of things. So that, that was my style of camping. And Aerotech even went, they helped uh, as volunteers. So I stayed overnight in a cabin. Uh, there was electricity and stuff. And for swimming at the camp, uh, back then, I could be taken off the ventilator for hours at a time. But as my lungs got worse over the years, they would just bag me with an Ambu bag. So that way we didn't have to risk the ventilator being by the water or in the pool. And that's what they do a lot from what I've seen. Uh, the other kids at the camp, they can either just come off the vent for a short period of time, or they just get the ambu bag to be able to breathe. Wow. And Aerotech Medical in Ohio went with you camping to make sure that your ventilator was properly, that the settings were proper, properly set. <laughs> and that um, you were being taken care of. It's like, how many how many companies do that? That's awesome. And, and it wasn't for just me either. They, uh, they helped all the kids at the camp. Anyone who had a breathing machine or respiratory equipment, they were there uh, to volunteer for everybody. That's great. Well, it's just amazing that you are able to go camping. I say glamping. That's what I do. I, yeah. Megan, I don't even, I don't even know that I would say that. I say camping is the Marriott courtyard. Um, <laughs> but, you know, my fiance loves to camp. Um, I'm just not a big camper. But look at you that you you just is there anything that you don't do that you're not able to do with your chair and your bed? that you want to do? Uh, I'm not able to take the stairs, but. Well, that's not a bad thing. You know, I knew a company not to take the stairs. Um, there was a, um, the iBot was um, out before and that was a, a wheelchair that would go up and down the stairs, but um, it also had some challenges as well about, you know, with safety and things like that. So, um, all right. Well, let's move on. Um, I want to talk about how, like, how was school for you um, growing up? When did you decide that you wanted to be a lawyer? Oh, goodness. Uh, I wanted to be a lawyer for as long as I can remember. Uh, my serious reason in wanting to go to law school was that I love to research. I love writing. I love arguing. And my mom says I'm her favorite uh, child to argue with. And that really hit with what I knew that an attorney does. Um, my funny reason, though, in why I wanted to go to law school is I watched the movie Legally Blonde as a kid, and I just fell in love with the idea of being Elwoods one day. And I told myself for the longest time that I would go to Harvard. 
And my mom always said, all right, let's do it. Just complete the steps to get there and, and we'll go. Uh, but then once I got older and I realized what football team is in that area, I decided, you know what, maybe not Harvard. Uh, let's stay a little closer to home. So based on the football team, you decided Harvard's not right for you. You're going to you're going to root for the football team in Ohio. Uh, not even the football team in Ohio. I'm a, a Pittsburgh football team person. So, oh, you're a Pittsburgh and, and Steelers fan. The, uh, yeah. Gotcha. Steelers. Okay. Well, shout out to the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, from Megan Parker, right? Um, okay. So you said you like to argue. I like to argue too. I think that's why I probably... I like to nicely argue with health plans that I just don't like to be told no. I don't know about you, uh, Megan, but I don't, I think no means like not now. Like don't tell me no, because I have to figure out a way to make it happen. How about you? Oh, absolutely. My entire family will say Megan doesn't know the meaning of no. And I just smile because I agree. It's, it's a not now. And that makes me even more driven to be like, okay, well, when? And yeah, it's going to happen. Um, especially when it comes to a side that I'm advocating for or opportunities in my life. Uh, doctors used to say, not know but that I wouldn't be able to do something or I wouldn't make it past this age. And now I just want to look at them and be like, you, you guys were wrong. I did those things. I made it past that age. Like, look where I am now and stop saying no to people. Exactly. Stop saying no to people. Stop saying no to people who need the technology and need to be able to get, get around, right? Absolutely. How old are you, Megan? Uh, I'm 24. I will be 25 in May. You're going to be 25 when? In May. Oh, in May. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm 25 reverse, right? Plus one. <laughs> I'm 53, but I feel like I'm still 25. Um, well, it's great that you never give up. Me either. I feel like, you know, when I tell people kind of what I do, it, you know, it seems like it's a no brainer, right? To talk to a health plan and explain why, you know, we might need a certain level of reimbursement in order to take care of people um, and why these people need the equipment they need. But, you know, to me, it was like, oh, it's a no brainer. Someone who needs a ventilator, but you'd be surprised or maybe you wouldn't um, about how difficult it can be to advocate for, you know, people that need this type of equipment, uh, whether it's a ventilator or a complex wheelchair or a prosthetic, um, you know, the health plan is certainly, you know, they have to be cognizant of the cost, but, um, you know, I always feel like people with disabilities somehow just get overlooked a lot of times. Um, and that's really what makes me sad. I, you know, coming in, I never, I never set out to say I wanted to be an executive of, of a, you know, wheelchair company or a ventilator company. I really just, um, met a lot of customers along the way, just like yourself, Megan. 
And I was like, you know what? I can go tell that story. I can go talk to these people and convince them to do the right thing for people. Um, so that's kind of how I got into the business. Um, so we would probably make a really good pair. Maybe we should pair up and uh, go go visit yeah. some uh, health plans or something. What do you think? I think that's a good idea, especially because a lot of the health plans, they just see somebody on paper and someone might look okay on paper or they might look quote unquote normal on paper, but it's not until you actually see the person and see why they need this that I think it really sinks in. Um, I had that experience uh when i was applying for accommodations for the professional responsibility exam that i had to take in law school i told them that i need a medical caregiver with me all the time and i need my ventilator and a ventilator wasn't on their pre-approved list of medical devices that can go in the exam and they asked me why do you need it and i almost replied exactly because without it i'll die um but i i put it more professionally and was like i'm unable to breathe on my own this machine breathes for me i have a medical caregiver in case medical issues arise and i sent them photographs of me and and the breathing machine to help them visualize it and after they saw it they were like oh yeah absolutely no problem but it's the fact that before they saw it they kind of wanted to be like well why do you need this i need it like you need lungs wow i need it like you need lungs i need my wheelchair like you need legs right yeah that's really impactful megan um and i think you hit it on the nail on the head when you said that, you know, they're just looking at paperwork sometimes and they really don't know, you know, what this does for someone. So I think that is very true. I think you sending pictures, sending videos, I'm, you know, I think more health plans should have that available. A lot of times you just have to fax over information or email um, or upload to a portal and they don't see the people who really need this type of equipment. Um, I remember one woman told me one time at a health plan that she's like, you know, these people drive around in their power chairs and they want to go through Arby's or go to Target. And I just <laughs> sat there and I thought, um, yeah, if I'm in a power chair, I want to go to Target. You know, do you want to go to Target? Um, but it, you know, I don't think they, you know, I don't think they even realize it sometimes, you know, and then there are some that really get it right. There are some of these health plans that, do a really great job of, of advocating and, and paying for the right things and taking care of people with disabilities. So um, it's just, you know, it's education. It's making sure that I, I remember a lot of times we would get in front of case managers and medical directors. Um, and, you know, and other times, you know, yeah, when you're getting lost in this whole paperwork process, I might get up on, get on the phone and I'll call a medical director and he's like, you know what? I'm so sorry. I don't know how this even happened, but yes, of course we're going to approve this stuff. So, um, you know, but I, I think more education and that's why I started the podcast. I really just wanted to bring visibility at a national level uh, for people with disabilities so that people would see 
on video what you guys you know how you know the challenges that you face so um yeah i think we would be a really strong uh two-woman team we'll, we'll go up and meet with some of the health plans up there in ohio yeah yeah okay um so okay. let's talk about what's that what did you say? Oh, I was just saying that that sounds good to me. Okay, great. We'll have to, we'll make it a thing. We'll go meet with some legislators too up there while we're at it. So Megan, let's talk about you going to law school. And I've got some pictures here um, of you. Let's see here. This is, this is a picture of you um, in the library, I would imagine. Um, here you are yeah. graduating uh, from law school. And here you are, a picture. Is that your family? Who are these people? So, uh, from at least from it looks like my left to right, uh, the gentleman with the uh, lighter hair, that is my boss at the firm, uh, Mark Avsek. He is the vice chair of the IP group. And then in the middle, on the back of the chair, uh, is one of my best friends from law school and works at Benish with me, Cristo Pantelides. And then on the right, uh, the woman is my mentor and one of my best friends at the firm, Lydia Moad. She also works in the IP group. Great. So, so you went to law school. You, you are an intellectual property lawyer. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So tell me, what do you do? What does that mean? So intellectual property encompasses uh, intangible properties. So copyrights, trademarks, patents, and trade secrets. I do more of the copyright and trademark work with some patent litigation, uh, and I'll, I'll break up those four. So copyrights are original works of authorship fixed in a tangible medium. Uh, so the, the big categories are generally books, movies, songs, stuff that are expressions of ideas, and then trademarks are your, your brand identifiers. They are the identification of a good or service. So the mo one of the most popular ones is Coca-Cola or McDonald's and it's Golden Arches. So that tells consumers where the goods come from. Patents cover your inventions, your whether it's a design for something or it's the actual functionality. So I bet you I could find a patent on my wheelchair uh, in the United States Patent Office. And then lastly, trade secrets are, they encompass secret information or information not known to the public that is valuable. So that could be the recipe for Coca-Cola. It could be the 11 herbs and spices for KFC. That those intangible but yet valuable 
properties. Uh, that's what my work encompasses. Well, that's a lot. That's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. So how did you get your first job? So I, my first job technically uh, in law school, I was a summer associate here at Benish. I found their 1L diversity fellowship program and I applied as it was in Ohio, uh, in Cleveland, which is close to where I am from in Akron. It looked like a great firm and I, I just wanted to get experience. So I applied and got an interview and loved the interview. I felt comfortable. I felt welcomed. I was able to make jokes. And I got the call a few days later from Bob Ross, the hiring partner, and he said, it, this is my favorite part of my job because I get to extend you an offer to join us. And that kickstarted my career here at Benish. I worked over the summer and loved it. I got to do a bunch of different projects, not just in intellectual property, but other areas of law. And they invited me back for a second summer uh, during my second year of law school. And after that uh, summer, I just, I got closer with the intellectual property group and got to gain even more experience. So it, it was a surprise, but not a surprise when at the end of the summer, they offered me a position full-time after the bar exam. So your first job, they're like, come on board. We want you. Yeah. That's, that is amazing. That's awesome. And I have a couple pictures of you working here in your office. Um, what a view that is. That's yeah, really awesome. that's my current office. And that, um, the next one is my office in our old building during my second summer. How, how many hours do you work a day? So being an attorney, it's extremely flexible. It's not a set nine to five. Um, for me, I just have to have 40 hours of work a week. So I generally try to do at least eight hours a day, five days a week. Um, sometimes I work on the weekends just to get some extra hours in. Um, I don't think I've done more than nine hours a day though. And, and that's, that's my own, uh, product that that's because I, I get work done fast. At least I like to think. Um, so it's it's a product of my own doing. And other people, being an attorney, they they might work longer or shorter days. Uh, it's it's a really flexible career. Well, it it you know I know you're saying it's flexible, but it sounds like you're working eight to nine hours a day. That's a lot. Uh, but you sound like you have a growth mindset and like to work kind of that's kind of how I feel like I like to work oh, everyone's like 
you know, have a hobby or whatever. I'm like, my, my hobby is working. <laughs> yeah. um, I guess when you love what you do, then it doesn't feel like work, right? Exactly. What do you love most about being a lawyer? That's a really good question. I, I think at least for me, I love the constant mental challenge that I'm given, whether it's uh, from an attorney who needs me to find a case that supports an argument they're trying to make, or a client has a new problem that involves IP that they need a solution for, or even just what is something new in the law that's evolving that I can learn about. I really enjoy the constant mental stimulation and the, the constant trying to find new ways to solve new issues. Well, what you're doing is amazing. Um, I'm just in awe of you because, of course, I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, so I'll just pretend to be one on, on uh, YouTube, I guess, um, with you. We'll go. Um, but we could go advocate together. I think that's awesome what you're doing. So let's say let's let's talk about um, let's get to the future. What do you hope for for your future? Where what's your what's your goals in life? What are your dreams? What do you want to do um, besides being a lawyer? What else do you want to do? Uh, well, one thing I, I absolutely want to do is I want to go to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter one day. I loved the Harry Potter books, love the movies. I'm a Hufflepuff myself, and Getting to go to that that park and feel like I'm in the Hogwarts universe, I think that would be just absolutely cool to get to do someday. Um, yep. And then isn't that in um, Universal Studios? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I went there, and I'll tell you, it was the best ride ever. Is the castle? And I'm not even a Harry Potter fan. I mean, my kids love it, but. Butterbeer was amazing. And then the yeah. castle ride, like that is the best ride in the entire world. So you have to get there. What are you going to do to make sure that you get there? My grandma went once. Did you get, are you, do you have it scheduled this vacation? No, not yet. I uh... I'm I'm trying to pay off some of my my school debt, but I'm hoping maybe sometime this year or next year I'll get to to save up and go because it it's not necessarily the scheduling aspect, but a lot of it is finding an accessible hotel, making sure I have all of my medical equipment. Uh, I I feel like anytime I travel. I have to bring everything except the kitchen sink. And it takes a lot of planning beforehand. I can only imagine. And I know that the airline industry is not real nice with some of these wheelchairs too. They they don't really treat them like they're a part of your body. They kind of throw them in the back of the, or underneath the airplane. 
And I know a lot of times a lot of people have issues with, um, you know, their wheelchair being and needing repaired after that. Have you ever had that issue? Yeah, I absolutely, I absolutely refuse to fly anywhere solely because I am beyond scared that something's going to happen to my wheelchair and I'll be stuck not at home. Um, and, and then with the ventilator, uh, I've never had any experience flying, so I don't know if they would need a pressurized chamber or anything special with with the breathing machine. So it, it would be really nice if an airliner could come out with like a medical jet just for people with disabilities to be able to travel because, I mean, I'm willing to, to make the the twelve hour drive, but that's a lot on anybody, and it'd be really cool to fly one day. Have Have you ever flown at all? I was life flighted by helicopter twice uh, as a kid, um, but I don't know if that counts. That doesn't count. I'm going to say that doesn't count. You need to be able to go fly somewhere and go to. Uh, Universal Studios. Someone here, so maybe some of these private equity guys can uh, think of a new business and and make you know have a business where these jets kind of pick you up, pick up people with disabilities, and take them on trips. I think that would be a cool. You just gave them a business idea, right? That would be a great idea, right? Well, somebody needs to make that happen. So, Megan, what do you want to be known for? I think at, at the most basic level, I just want to be known for being human, like everyone else. Not always somebody who has a disability, uh, but just just a person like everyone. And and I know that's uh, almost impossible given that I I have the disabilities and I really have overcome a lot. But people with disabilities are, are just like everyone else we have dreams we have aspirations we have fears and and we just want to be treated like normal as as much as that can happen that is so true and i think that i've always said like i feel like people with disabilities are almost like the the largest group that's been discriminated against and i don't know if that's on purpose but I just don't feel like there's the visibility that needs to be out there, um, you know, so that people get what they need. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you are, of course, you're not really like everybody else. Like, you're amazing. Like, the fact that you are, you have all these challenges, you, have, you know, you have breathing challenges, that you're in a complex wheelchair, and you're a lawyer, and you're out there working, you know, eight to nine hours a day. I mean, you're amazing. I hope you know that. And and I'm inspired by you. I'm sure these the listeners are so inspired by you. Um, and you know, you're the reason you're, you know, people like you are the reason that I get up every day and do what I do. Because I know that, you know, it's 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 easy sometimes to get up in our own head, right? That the world's you know a terrible place, or we've got all these challenges and we have all these issues. 
but hearing your story is just like remembering the why and why we do what we do. Um, and I have no excuse, no excuse to get out there and advocate for um, people like you that need this equipment. So um, keep doing what you're doing uh, because you're inspiring. I'm sure hundreds of thousands of people who um, hopefully hundreds of thousands of people watch this podcast um, and you can inspire others. So uh, thank you uh, for, for being here, for, uh, for doing this interview. Um, is there anything that else that you, that we haven't covered that you want to say to the listeners uh, who listen to this podcast? I think the most important thing that anybody can do for someone else is to notice them and appreciate the small things that they do. I know I love at just at work going around and saying hi to everybody to make them feel seen. And and it can lead to a five, ten minute conversation. And the smile that that can put on somebody's face is worth more than the world's brightest diamond in my eyes. So always take time to, to notice others and to, to thank them just for being there. That's awesome. Yeah, it's the little things, right? We just never know what that little word of encouragement might be or a smile, giving someone a smile on your face um, can mean and mean to someone else, right? So sometimes our impact is invisible. We don't even know that we're making a difference. So that's those are really great words of uh, wisdom there. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this podcast up. I want to thank you so much, Megan, for being here. Um, I've learned a lot from you, and you have certainly inspired me and hopefully all of the listeners um, on the See the Unseen podcast. So um, thank you all for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please uh, like me on our Facebook page, the See the Unseen podcast, and also please subscribe to my YouTube page. Um, Thank you so much. And everyone, have a great day. Thanks for listening. You're listening to the See the Unseen podcast, where our number one focus is creating a little visibility for people who deserve a whole lot of spotlight. I'm your host, Melissa Dorjal, and I'm here to share some amazing stories that can transform and inspire lives. So get ready to take those blinders off and see the unseen.